Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays at the Table, Safe and Sound Schools Tuesday web chat series to keep our national school community connected, uplifted, and resourced through the myriad of school safety challenges we face together today and in the months and school year ahead. Founded by parents who lost children at Sandy Hook School, Safe and Sound Schools is a national school safety advocacy and resource center that provides research-based tools and support for crisis prevention, response, and recovery with the goal of protecting every school and every student every day. We invite you to visit us at safeandsoundschools.org to learn more about our mission and support our work in schools and communities across the country. I'm Michelle Gay, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Safe and Sound Schools, and your host for today's final episode of this season's Tuesdays at the Table. Before we get started, we'd like to give a special thanks to a few of our corporate partners whose support has helped make this series possible and free to our national community. Raptor Technologies, our longtime partner and provider of visitor and volunteer management and emergency management systems for schools. Cooper Optic, worldwide provider of nano-ceramic window films to improve safety, security, and energy efficiency. Allegiant, home to over 30 safety and security brands, keeping people safe where they live, work, and learn. Each of these partners will join us this fall for our National Summit on School Safety and this summer as we launch our new initiative, the Safe and Sound Return to Learn, an expert-led webinar series to help our school leaders and communities plan to meet the challenges we face in the school year ahead. More on that later in our chat today. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the table. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have this amazing panel here with us today. We've set aside, because it's such a big panel, um, we've set aside about an hour. Um, we brought together a panel of our community members that represent parents, students, teachers, school-based mental health, school health, and school leaders. So joining me from the Safe and Sound team, you all know Dr. C.J. Huff, educator and former superintendent of the Joplin Schools in Missouri. And our panel of special guests is Jordan Lynn, student leader hailing from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Jordan. We've got Brooke Cottle, mother of four and director of the Bethel Health Center in Eugene, Oregon. Katina White, our teacher from Arkansas, representing the teachers. Amy Dark, school nurse from Rhode Island. And we've got Dr. Todd Savage, school psychologist and professor of school psychology at University of Wisconsin River Falls. Welcome everybody. On the table today, the next school year, preparing for a safe and sound return to learn. So it's been a busy few months for our school communities. Uh, I think we can all agree on that and our public health and safety professionals. Um, and we're, it seems like we're just, we're just getting started um, facing these challenges and learning about what is, what's in front of us and, and what's ahead. You know, no sooner did we close the books on the 2019 to 20 school year that plans for everything ahead kicked into gear most of our school communities began to look ahead as soon as immediate needs of meal distribution and resource distribution and distance learning were underway. But as new information continues to emerge, the pandemic continues to evolve and social crises have erupted across our country in response to the tragic death of George Floyd and others. 
there's ever more to consider and plan for to ensure that our school communities are safe places for all to learn and work and grow in. Over the past several months, our Dr. CJ Hub has been conducting focus groups in discussion with all of our different stakeholder groups. It's, it's taken forever because <laughs> we serve so many awesome people and, and awesome groups, um, disciplines and perspectives. Um, but many of those, those folks are, are represented here today, at least in part um, by our special guests. So I wanna, um, I wanna kind of shift to CJ and, and let him talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what's been going on behind the scenes and, and tell about how that has informed what we'll be launching in July with the Safe and Sound Return to Learn project. CJ, would you share a little bit about the project and what's to come? Yeah, so um, over the last uh, number of months, probably going back to, I'd say, mid-March, yeah. uh, we started having these conversations that started shutting down. And um, you know, there was so, un so much uncertainty about what the, even at that point, what the end of the school year was going to look like, you know, were schools going to stay shut down, um, were all schools going to shut down, uh, you know, and all those questions around that. And uh, as school districts were grappling with that, with that particular question, um, the, the, the other issue that started to surface that we started having conversations about, and, and one thing that is for certain is it's at some point in time our kids are going to come back to school. We know that. We just don't know when or how or, or what that's going to look like. And so we pivoted our, our efforts, and, and, and rather than addressing the immediate response, it's our school leaders and staff and you know, the amazing people that are on this call that represent uh, you know, stakeholders across the country. Um, you know, they, they were already doing the hard work of that response phase. And, and so we started talking about, okay, what does recovery look like and, and how do we move into that? And so we started having some conversations with individual school leaders and, and different stakeholders uh, to just kind of get a sense of where they're at as they, as they were thinking about, about those things. And, and to a person, they all said the same thing. You know, we, haven't, we, we can't even think about that right now. This is something that, you know, we're, not, we're just not there yet. And so uh, with, with that, we, um, you know, kind of, kind of took a step back and started talking about how we might be able to crowdsource, if you will, um, you know, the, not only the, the conversations, but the collective wisdom of, the, of, of, our, of our stakeholders. And so we began having these focus group conversations that started probably towards the middle to latter part of April. And, and we just wrapped up um, uh, just about a week ago. Uh, with school superintendents talking about um, their perspectives and thoughts and concerns and you know, opportunities, challenges, and all those things as it relates to uh, returning to school this fall. And, um, and so that's really informed uh, you know, the conversations we've had, uh, uh, the people in this, in, this, in this particular webinar, um, this, this conversation were involved in a lot of those discussions. Uh, but uh, there, there was a lot of great insight from, from all those discussions that I think is going to help inform you know, our organization, Safe and Sound Schools, look at putting together webinars this summer to helpfully support and provide insight and guidance to, to school leaders and communities that, that are, are still struggling with trying to figure out what's next and what this, the, this uncertain future looks like um, in our schools. Thank you. Thanks for um, kind of teasing what's to come. And, and thanks to everybody on the panel for helping inform um, some of the issues that, 
you know, that, that we know our schools are, are going to need support with. Um, so we'll get into a lot of those today. Um, I want to start with Jordan because uh, school is really all about the students. I mean, this is, this mm -hmm. is why we have these buildings. It's why, why so many of the, the folks on the call today, um, ourselves included, uh, do the work that we do. So can you, can you just take us back in time only, I know it feels like years ago, but just a couple months ago, um, you know, what, what was this experience like for you when, you know, your school doors shut? Um, you know, what are some of the, the experiences you had and the, the takeaways? What was it like for you? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Miss Michelle. Mm -hmm. um, a lot, um, I'll just sort of set up of what was going on uh, before the school shut down. Um, you know, I was in the middle of doing our school play. And of course, you know, we were, there were rumors going around of whether or not uh, school was going to be shut down. We were very well aware that there were starting to become cases um, more prevalent in Atlanta. And, you know, we were, you know, we were just not quite sure what was going to happen uh, from the student perspective. And so a lot of the administrators for my, for my school, at least, um, what they did is that they encouraged all the teachers to at least have some sort of method of being able to communicate this uh, to the students just in case something happened, whether it was, it, uh, whether it was through our, um, uh, our school virtual learning program or it was through uh, other programs like Edmodo or Remind, you know, things like that so that we would be able to have some sort of method of communicating with each other in case school did end. Um, we, the school shutdown, at least um, from my experience, was sort of unexpected. Uh, we were not quite, we were, you know, again, it was really uncertain and it was sort of a little bit of a shocker because then all of a sudden, you know, everything was, um, you know, everything had to come to a halt. We had to, you know, stop all of our, uh, you know, the theater programs and, you know, all of a sudden we just had a, a, a few days where you know we didn't really we didn't quite know what to do you know we were expecting um you know just maybe about one or two weeks shutdown but we did not realize that uh this entire situation was going to go on for much longer um you know and part of that uh, what that resulted in it was sort you know again we had a peer a week off where it was just kind of like you know we didn't know what to do and the school administration was trying to sort of get things straight and figure out like, you know, what are we going to have like a schedule? Um, what are the teachers going to use uh, in terms of being able to communicate with their students for the long term until the end of the school year? Um, yeah, it was it was sort of, so essentially it really got off to a really rocky start. But then over time, we started, you know, getting used to it. We started getting on a roll. Yeah, you know, for my kids, it was it was it was traumatic it was quick i mean they were like there was this mixture of excitement and to like have an extended snow day we have snow days in the maryland area and uh it was like oh we're getting a, a snow day in here in in um you know a very unexpected times so it's snow weeks but uh but then it, it it quickly shifted to just kind of uncertainty it was just uh, it was just so it was almost overnight you know so how about you, um, Brooke? What was what was the experience like for you and your kids? You have kids that span multiple uh, levels of the educational system. So, what was that like for you guys? Oh, I think we still have Brooke on mute. 
I'm back. I'm here. <laughs> you know, I think it was, um, it was like you said, you know, the sort of us a little bit, you know, my kids were like, Oh, we get to be home. And then, and then very quickly shifting into this new type of learning and schedule and really missing friends and social yeah. interaction was really hard. I remember sitting down with my high schooler and like, so here's what we need to understand. Like, this shutdown is not my fault, <laughs> but like working through a lot of the, the feelings and emotions and like, why can't I go hang out with my friends? And, and just that newfound freedom that comes with, you know, sort of high school life and, and really digging to the root of like some of that emotion and, um, and frustration over really cramping the lifestyle. Right. Yeah. And did you hear a lot of, well, so-and-so's family's letting them do blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. Totally. So it was, so that made it challenging. Right. And, so and then I, you know, I think also from the educational side, um, my uh, fourth grader, his class had already been doing quite a few um, online app activities as part of their basic curriculum. So that transition was actually very smooth for them. And it went, it went really well. They would meet on Zoom each day. And I remember I would peek in at this incredible fourth grade teacher that I love and see all these bouncing faces and <laughs> jumping around and you know I would think oh she's incredible <laughs> and then you know up to my high schooler where um you know in middle school and high school where it's pass or fail and really hoping that my kids are getting you know thinking that some of the classes they were taking like in math and science were really like building block types of classes and thinking oh gosh like I hope that we're getting enough of this so that when we move on to the next level or like is there a review system happening um so yeah it was a lot of and then you know my husband and I of course then both working from home so it was incredibly challenging and navigating kids and schedules and and I would peek in on them and just be like so are you okay I'm like why do you keep picking you know peeking in on us and I'd say I actually don't know how to do this. Like we're figuring this out. <laughs> so figuring this out. like figuring this yeah. out. I think that's just like the theme of 2020. We're just figuring this out. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's a journey. Exactly. It's a journey. So Katina, um, tell, can you tell a little bit about the, the, um, the level of, you know, school that you teach in? I, you know, I know you, you have a lot of, a lot of different age babies um, under under your purview, and what was the experience like? You know, transitioning to teaching in this in this format, and and really trying to maintain connectivity not not just technologically, but you know, the connection with your kiddos. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things that was me as an educator is. We, I receive so much energy in class. I'm able to detect a mood. I'm able to see if yeah. it understands uh, the content. And I think that was the hardest part of, you know, you having to reach out. Do you understand? Do you get it? And they're like, yeah, but usually I'm able to read their faces and I wasn't able to do that maybe on a Zoom call. And then that, that was, you know, in middle school, they may wake up at three, you know, or they may work at eight. So having like a, <laughs> a schedule Zoom, you may not have all the students there one time. And so it 
I realized how important in-class instruction is, how much control I have in my classroom where I'm able to make sure that my kids get the same information from me. I'm able to see who gets it, who does it. And I didn't, I didn't realize that until this whole pandemic happened of how important that in-class instruction is for me, even as an educator, and how I'm able to sense my babies, my kids, mm-hmm. and if they understand a certain content. It's just, and providing demonstrations, it's just. I know, I'm, I'm like tearing up as you're talking about it because I, it's personal for me too. Like I just can't imagine as an elementary teacher, they're your baby. I mean, they're your babies no matter, they're high school. High school kids are our babies too. But, um, but how much we use proximity, how, you know, how we're on the floor together reading a book or, and all of that, it was taken away overnight, yeah. you know, um, just, just a whole new world, you know, to try to teach him. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Katina, I remember when we were having our focus group, you know, talking about those relationships and, and uh, how important those were. Do you mind sharing, you know, what, what are some of the strategies you use to maintain those relationships uh, in this uh, COVID environment? Um, so far, we, we've done, we have weekly Zoom where we give them just time to just talk because um, just like adults, it's hard to process. You know, we're processing it. And the middle schoolers, kids, it's taking them some time to process and get used to it. So um, we would have Zooms. We would do like um, not even just a weekly Zoom. We would do just an extra Zoom if they just wanted to just chat with each other, give them time to just talk to each other because they don't get to, they're not able to see their friends. And I and so it was giving them that opportunity. And then I made a lot of contacts with parents and. Um, I have a lot of students' uh, phone numbers. Then, are you good? Or they would they would be able to text me individually and say, "Hey, Miss White, I don't understand," or "I'm not." Are you are you okay? Remember, this is new for everybody. Um, so those strategies we use a lot as a team. We work together as a team in my school, which was very beneficial for us. Uh, especially having like a partner teacher and we would have you checked on this student and my partner teacher would say yes they're okay you might want to check on them tomorrow so it was that type of communication with students and parents that we we utilize that a whole lot I'm so I'm so glad to hear you talk about the team because there's just there's no other way really that we should be uh, teaching our kids anyway, caring for our kids anyway, when, when school is in session under normal circumstances, but ever more so now. So Todd, I want to turn to you to talk a little bit more about that. Um, I think very quickly, we all started to see signs of stress and anxiety uh, among students, among staff, uh, our school leaders. This was just a really stressful, it still is a really stressful time. And and now there are new layers that that we're going to talk about here today. But what are some of the signs um, and some of the strategies, Todd, that we can, as as educators, as parents, um, be looking out for, be recognizing in terms of our, our students' mental wellness, their processing of stress and anxiety and, and even depression in this strange new existence that we're in right now. 
Sure, I think we need to keep at the forefront as like a trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive approach. I mean, we listen to everybody and, and the challenges they personally experienced in their roles as a teacher, student, uh, mother. Um, you know, we gotta think about those kids too that don't, school was their only safe space. It was maybe their only consistent space they had. And um, when COVID hit and we went into shelter in place, some kids don't have a consistent space to go home to. Um, they don't have access to devices or to the internet. School was their main source of social support and food security and things like that. So um, we think, you know, we got to think about it from that perspective. And then just being disconnected for uh, others, just the social disconnection, even with Zoom and social media and things like that. My son, a month into uh, the shelter in place, said to me, he's 15. He's like, you know, I'm doing okay and I'm connected, I'm wired and other things like that. But he's like, I just can't wait to touch a friend again. And so that social connection is so important. So I think some things to think about from a trauma perspective or some signs to look for, it's gonna depend on development, uh, age level, as well as those kids with special needs. You gotta think about some of the ways that this is, you know, their unique experiences. With young kids, you might see some things this fall when it comes to, um, they might be clingy, irritable, um, you might see things coming out in their play or their drawings that are showing the anxiety or stress or depression, things like that. For younger kids, maybe some regression of some milestones they'd achieved, maybe some kids return to bedwetting or things like that. So things that keep in the back of your mind with younger kids. With our elementary kiddos going into the tweenhood, um, you might see more somatic complaints that might come through like headaches, complaining of stomach aches, things like that. Irritability, restlessness, maybe a little bit of clinginess, especially at the younger grades, maybe some behavioral challenges and worries. And I think we got to really be careful not to overinterpret or misinterpret some behavioral things we see when we go back to school this fall, because it just might be a common reaction to some very unusual circumstances. And we want to take that into account. And, and we're going to see a lot. Our kids are going to our kids are going to present differently. You know, we're sure. going to see a lot of behaviors when they yeah. return. Yep. And then with our teens, um, you know, some of the stuff that's typical teen, but it might be on steroids, would be things like moodiness, irritability, um, worries, maybe some substance use uh, or abuse. I'm going to be uh, keep that at the back of our mind. Risk-taking behaviors might increase as a result of stress or worry or anxiety, things like that. Um, and so I think in terms of some strategies, it's going to depend on the age level. It's going to depend on the kid's special needs. But some things we need to consider are we may not be able to get back immediately to academics. I mean, the first several weeks, maybe even the first month might just be, again, about reacclimation, relationship building, getting kiddos connected to each other and to adults. So I think, again, it's not that we shouldn't do anything academic, but maybe de-emphasize the academics or maybe tie the academics to the relationship building. I mean, also, I also want to consider um, grading options, especially with the first few months, maybe going to a pass-fail system versus some type of graded system or something like that to accommodate some of that. And then in terms of the mental health piece, of course, having access to mental health supports in schools is of the utmost importance. Under ideal conditions of during a typical school year, there's this notion that we in the biz, uh, it's this 20-20 rule. 20% of kids in a typical year 
um, have a mental health issue that rises to the need of significance, and only 20% of those kids get any type of outside of mental health support. 80% of kiddos with mental health needs, the only source of support they're getting is through schools. Now we take COVID and you overlay that with, uh, like you talked about the social unrest we've got going on, the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey and others, uh, and the racism that's been uncovered, or I mean, it's always been there, but it's been laid bare. And um, that's another layer of stress we've got going on. And so um, the mental health needs are gonna be just through the roof. And so again, we wanna make sure we have access to school psychs, psychologists, school counselors, school nurses, school social workers. Um, and maybe I think the time to start planning for that is now. We should be meeting now to talk about reach outs, triage, so that when school starts, we, we can get a running start on this. We're not trying to figure it all out then. We'll have a, an idea of what the need might be and we can start getting kids to the um, appropriate supports and interventions that they need. Yeah, you bring up so many important points and the time is now. Um, we have schools that, that you know, closed uh, you know, the school year end of May and have been working since. We have schools uh, up in the Northeast that won't open again until into September. So everyone's kind of you know, on a different timetable as usual, but, um, but I think everybody is scrambling to, to do that work. Hopefully the Return to Learn series uh, that we'll be launching in July will really provide some, some more support and resources for that. Um, I was really glad to hear you, Todd, talking about, um, you know, and it, it, I'm an educator, Katina's an educator first and foremost, so is, so is CJ. Um, and we do, we do have to set aside um, the, the priority of, of academics for now, even though it's our, it's our passion, um, you know, that content teaching kids. Um, we know, CJ and I both know, having lived through uh, massive uh, crises uh, in Joplin, Missouri after the big tornado in Sandy Hook after our tragedy, that return to learn, one of the most uh, key takeaways I think that, that we hear from communities like ours and, and others that have to return after some kind of major disruption is that you do have to put that other stuff aside and focus on the whole child and, and getting the whole community kind of back together again before you can even begin thinking about you know curriculum and objectives and things like that. So I want to turn to Amy because Todd brought up a couple of things that um, that really fall into your you know into your domain and you know we always like to see the school nurses spotlighted featured as part of the the safety team because school nurses are in the thick of it with our kids every day. I know I have a few frequent flyers um, that just go. They like to say hi to the nurse um, for the for the connection there's not really an actual uh, need other than to to get a little love from the nurse but um, you know as we think about um, this this crisis our school nurses were very much in the forefront leaders um, helping us navigate a lot of new and ever-changing information so what was it like in your community Amy you want to talk a little bit about about that absolutely thank you Michelle uh, Friday, March 13th, really lived up to its name as a Friday the 13th, uh, certainly in Rhode Island for us, that was a day. Uh, I was, I am also the kindergarten and grade one health educator in my school. 
So for 45 minutes uh, every day of the week, I meet with either kindergarten or first grade typically, and that was interesting moving to a virtual format that I'll talk about. But on that particular day, I was quickly eating lunch in my office before I was heading off to first grade health class and our governor came on to announce that it was only for two weeks that we were going to move to a virtual format. And that incidentally would also coincide with our newly or hastily scheduled uh, spring recess, which is normally in April. So we were to go home and relax while also planning curriculum for our children. So it was a, and we all know how that worked out. Um, Saturday morning, the 14th of March, when I woke up, my first thought was, how am I going to remain connected to my 300 students uh, in a virtual format? I am not by nature uh, technologically savvy, or should I say three months ago, I was not technologically savvy. That has <laughs> improved somewhat. And the method that we used at my school, we have a very cohesive team with my school psychologist and my school social worker. The three of us got together and we immediately built a Google Classroom for uh, social, emotional, and health information. Uh, it was not that we were uh, treating or having virtual office visits, but at the start of it, it was to make sure that there was a clearinghouse and a, a central area that families, as well as our older students, I'm in a K to five elementary school, could go for information, as well as our colleagues, our staff and faculty. So we basically got together, we, um, placed uh, in that Google Classroom a big push of information from each of our three domains. And then we said, that's great to have a classroom, but it's only as good as people are going to be able to access it and have that information. So we divided the school roster, all of the families into thirds, and each family immediately from that very first week that we were out, received a call from either myself, our school social worker, or a school psychologist. And often those conversations with families would lead to, you know, cross-domain care, meaning that perhaps there was something going on in the home that I needed to address. So I would then follow up and call. And everyone immediately had that contact while the teachers were getting up and running with their classrooms. We found having the relationships that we do already and building upon those by making those contacts was tremendous. And that's what we're continuing with in the summer. And I think that that'll be a positive building block for the fall. Wow. Um, I, I heard team. I mean, just the, the social emotional piece. The, I, I just, I, I love that. Um, you know, we advocate obviously for the multidisciplinary team in, in our schools and, uh, and to hear that, that kind of cohesiveness, speaking one another's language, reaching out for resources and, and creating that clearinghouse is just, it's just tremendous um, needed. 
I want to turn to Jordan for a second um, and talk about, you know, a, another whole wrinkle in this school year, the end of the school year, and that will, you know, will be with us for some time is you know, what we're seeing, um, you know, in, in, in the news and, and surrounding the death of George Floyd and others, as I said, and, and, um, and social unrest. You know, I, I thought as a teacher so much about students um, at home and unable to process and, and talk about this in, in the classroom setting. Um, you know, obviously it, the, the responsibility fell to, to parents and families and, and that's good as it should. I, I see Brooke nodding her head. I'm sure you had a lot of conversations at home. Um, but, you know, we didn't have the ability to have those conversations at school and access to school counselors to, to process um, all that we still are seeing and hearing and feeling and experiencing. So I'm just wondering what that experience has been like for you. You know, you're watching it on TV. It's on TV all day, every day. And that itself can be um, kind of kind of traumatic to, to be thrust into, um, you know, all the time. So what, what has it been like for you and your peers? And, and have you been able to even have maybe some virtual conversations with classmates and, and, um, and school staff? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's kind of felt a little bit interesting. I sort of, you know, I've, in some respects, I've felt a little bit more disconnected because I don't have that, uh, that in-person connection with being able to talk with people about it. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been able to keep track of, you know, all the events I've been going on through things like social media, being able to watch, uh, you know, being able to watch things from TV. Um, and I was actually able to hold some, you know, um, I don't know about if you guys happen to know about Discord servers. It's just, it's basically a social media app or where you're able to have conversations with certain social groups. Um, but I, um, I was thankful for uh, that some of the mod moderators did realize the need for, you know, being able to have that conversation where, you know, we give updates to each other of what's been going on, maybe have, you know, try talking about it without having to have like a huge flame war uh, blow up in the, in the server. So I was really thankful of, uh, to be able to have that sort of that connection. Um, on the other hand, uh, I, some of my friends, I, we haven't really talked about it that much. You know, um, you know, a lot of the times, you know, those type of conversations were, initi uh, were initiated by um, uh, people or I guess sort of, um, well, in my, in my case, it was a youth group pastor who was able to sort of initiate that conversation, you know, what's been going on. And um, I know that my family has been having conversations about it. Uh, you know, we need to, uh, we've had conversations of, you know, why this happens, what we need to do and speak up about it. I've also, in regards to the protests, um, it's sort of felt a little bit surreal because I'm, um, I've been keeping up with all the protests and things that have been happening in Hong Kong. Um, so it, you know, being able, you, when you see those kinds of things on YouTube and seeing all the protests, you know, it's sort of, it, it's sort of a bit thrilling because you know that they're, you know, these are people that are trying to stand up for, uh, you know, their personal rights. They're tr people that are trying to, uh, you know, in the, in their case, it was a it, it's become a political issue and not, uh, and it's also been the same here 
except now here it's being dealt with with racism. And, you know, just being able to see that similar response here in Atlanta, here in uh, Minneapolis, seeing that similar response, it, it feels surreal just being able to see all of that. Interesting. Um, so Katina, you know, Jordan's talking a little bit about, about processing that and really trying to find creative outlets for processing it. And I, the, the lens that you brought Jordan to with uh, the, you know, the, the kind of some, some parallels in, in Hong Kong and, um, you know, everybody comes into this and views what's going on with, you know, based on their own personal experiences. So can you talk a little bit, Katina, about how maybe you've been able to help your kiddos navigate this and maybe even personally, you know, what this experience has been like for you? Um, of course, for me, it hits real deep. So um, I will, I'm doing this summer, I also do, a, we're doing a virtual STEM, STEM camp. And so we allowed to have, we, we did like a healing space for our kids. So they were able to talk and we had like a therapist online um, and they were able to just talk and express how they're processing the whole thing of what it feels like to be uh, black kids in America. What does it feel like to be a black kid now? How do you feel about yourself? Um, so just allow them to just, express how they were feeling and I myself as an as an adult I participated in the healing um healing space um last week just to so I can process it and get it off my chest of everything that I'm that I'm feeling and all the things that are going on with me internally and how it has triggered so many things within me as a black woman um, and, um, journaling, including that, having them write journals. Um, we're also doing, um, in our camp this summer, we're doing, a, we're so doing some community science activism, environmental activism, um, to just bring out and show them how even with, in, in your environment, racism can exist and how we can solve that through science. Um, yes, I'm a STEM educator. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that part of like really including it in our instruction because it's um, isn't it's very important, especially for me as a STEM educator, that uh, my kids see themselves within STEM. So we, I'm very very focused on doing a lot of community science and doing some environmental activism as uh, with my African-American students um, and then providing those healing spaces and listening and listening. And that's so it. those are all really important things I think for right now. I hope that everybody listening and participating is thinking about those ideas in the return to learn. So when, you know, when school comes back together, I want to see activities like that happening through the school year and 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 embedded into our curriculum forevermore. I, I think all of those things are how we're going to empower our students, how we're going to empower 
um, groups in our in our communities and and really make the kind of change that we want to see in the world. So speaking of special populations, um, Todd, I want to talk a little bit about the the so many of the vulnerable populations um, within our our school. Um, communities, English language learners, as well as minority populations, as well as the LGBTQ plus community. You know, this pandemic, as well as the unrest, has this has had, um, you know, kind of double impact, I think, on, on our vulnerable populations. Can you talk a little bit how, about how, how that might be manifesting within some of our vulnerable populations and how we can support um, these very special students? Sure. I think, first of all, we've got to get a sense of who is in our school community and what their specific needs are. So those, you know, in terms of those affected by COVID, um, from a physical health perspective, what are some of the personal protective equipment needs we're gonna need, our kids with special needs and some of their medical sensitivity, we gotta consider some of that. Um, I, even though you introduced me as working at the University of Wisconsin River Falls, it's just inside the border of Wisconsin, I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and I grew up three blocks from where George Floyd was killed. And we think about um, where the third precinct was burned down and where a lot of the pro uh, protests and riots were taking place. Um, we've now created a food desert as a result of um, grocery stores and other things that have been burned down. So we've got kids who don't even have access to basic needs, shelter, food, water. So when we think about uh, coming back to school in the fall, I mean, we should, we're, people are doing things right now, but we also want to make sure that as we, we continue that mindset, uh, coming back to school in the fall is that we get those basic needs met because if kids, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of kids' basic needs aren't met, doesn't matter what you're providing them in terms of mental health supports or academics or whatever, they're, they're focused on survival versus, you know, focused on learning or focused on getting mental health supports and things like that. When we think about, like you mentioned, the LGBTQ plus student population, um, the shelter in place has had a big impact on that group of students. Um, even if they've got a loving, supportive home environment, um, I, they're still isolated uh, or can be isolated. And even though there's social media and ways to connect on the internet, you can, you have to have access to those means. And for those kids who do not live in supportive environments, um, in the, even with means, it may not be safe to access social media or connecting that way. And so we got to make sure that uh, coming back to school, we provide those opportunities to reconnect and have safe space. There are virtual GSAs and other things available out there, but again, you have to have the access and it has to be safe at home to be able to access those groups that, uh, when you think about that. Um, in terms of other things to consider uh, with our gender diverse and trans community, um, they may not have been able to get to medical appointments if they were medically transitioning. And so that might be a source of stress, um, not having access to some of the uh, medical needs that they have. And so again, I don't know if we can provide those necessarily through school, but finding our ways to get them reconnected to those supports, uh, the medical transition stuff that they need is absolutely necessary. And I think in terms of just things, other things we can do is again, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. 
kids have been disconnected, even through Zoom and social media, they've been disconnected. That one, that in-person kind of connection has been lacking for so long. And so getting kids reconnected with trusted adults at school, getting kids connected to peers, getting kids connected to like GSAs and other safe space and safe clubs. So I think again, it's, again, um, de-emphasize the academics out of the gate and let's get the relationships back on track. Excellent, really, really helpful for us as we're thinking about, about working our way through the summer and planning to reconnect students and, and take good care of them in the return to learn. So Brooke, I want to turn to you for a second and, and talk about um, the family and the kids. And um, you know, how, how has your school community been com communicating with you guys throughout all of this? My, I'm, I'm very proud of the, the communication that we're receiving from my kids. It happens to be the, um, the school district where I first started teaching, so I'm a little bit biased, but the communication's been really strong um, about you know every step of the way through the pandemic and also through the, the racial crises and social unrest and, and all of that. So can you talk a little bit about communication and, and how that's been handled? And um, can you also talk about what, what you need uh, as a parent, to feel safe sending your kids back into the building um, in the in the fall or late summer. You bet, absolutely. Well, and I feel fortunate that we also received excellent communication from our schools. So we're sitting at three different schools, right? And right. Um, you know, initially, for example, you know, my high schoolers got six class periods, and every one of those teachers was sending me an email like at least twice a day. <laughs> It's like, ah, you know. but right. it was, it was all coming from an excellent place. Um, and I also appreciated just their willingness to be really open in terms of saying, you know, Hey, I just, I thought I set up this zoom, this zoom class or, you know, and I, and I didn't. So here's the accurate link. And right. it just felt very just real, real <laughs> right. And we're all figuring this out. And I think that they're, you know, we, um, I just tried to make sure at this end, you know, at the end of this year and, and throughout the process to just make sure they knew how much as a parent, I appreciated their efforts. Like I can't imagine um, what it would be like to be a teacher and have everything that you are, the system totally changing and needing to jump on board with that within a matter of days. Right. So, so um, we were really fortunate with just incredible educators and I think when I look at the fall and I look at, you know, prepping my kids and, and still the uncertainties of what things are going to look like, right? It feels very uncertain here in Oregon. Um, what, will it be a hybrid model in the fall? Will it be just, you know, learning from home or, or certain days at school? And so a couple of things I think that would be really, that'll really going to be helpful for me as a parent that hopefully I can then um, visit with my kids about is I think that it'll be really key for uh, me to be able to share and know what things are going to be the same, right? Like there's, you know, pictures of that school, particularly for my younger kids, right? Um, the school's still there. The people are there. They're waiting to see you. They're excited to see you. So focusing on those things that are the same. And that then allowing a great point. That is a and great point. Well, I just, I think that those are the things that we really lean into as individuals and as people, like, tell me please what's going to be the same in all of this when everything 
really does feel so different. Um, so focusing on that and with the piece of, so here's what's going to be different this year. Here's how we're going to help sure, you know, help make sure that we're keeping you safe. So these are some of the things that we're going to follow to help keep you safe. And when I feel like those are, that conversation is happening together, it's also reassuring um, to, to kids and to families. Um, and I'm, I'm also really interested to hear from our, um, to hear from our schools. And, you know, I think of Amy in that school nursing role and capacity for how much, you know, um, education around safety and sanitizing and, and the hand washing and, and making sure that um, our, we're staffed to be able to handle that. And it's, you know, falling on everybody, not just our school nurses to help lead a ton of that work and our school administrators. Um, and what conversations we can be having at home to, to help that. Um, but, and, and also recognizing, like I, it's really important to recognize that um, families are coming from all different places on that, right? Like I feel with certain pieces that, you know, if these certain things are met, I'll feel comfortable, but recognizing there are kids who, who probably won't be coming back in the fall um, because their family is not comfortable with the sanitizing and even those systems that are in place and allowing there to be um, an open space for that. So, and then of course, just the academic piece. Like I would love to hear from school administrators and school teachers about, um, you know, we're, we love academics, we're focusing on them. But most importantly, we were really invested in the emotional well-being of our kids and routines and getting them, getting them back connected with people and interaction and, and that there's a place in academics that's, um, that's going to allow for that. So I feel like those are some really key points for me as a parent um, when I think about my kids. They're huge. And I think let's, let's go ahead and turn to CJ with some of those as our, our resident school leader to talk a little bit about those as well as issues like we had a question come in about about equity and inclusion in those plans and then i want to pivot to to amy and and um kind of pivot off of some of the things that she mentioned brooke about sanitization and can you know hand washing and masks and six feet apart, I'm seeing like taped uh, boxes or all kinds of things to, to talk about. So first CJ and then over to Amy. And I think you're still, there you go, CJ. So uh, a couple things in, in response to, we had a question come in from Barry and one from Brian uh, that, that, are, that are somewhat related that I'm gonna try to wrap up in, in the one, one answer here, but, uh, uh, you know, in, in the one case, you know, in having uh, communities that have already been through tragedy, um, you know, in this particular case, Nova Scotia, where they had a, you know, a serious uh, mass shooting and worst mass shooting in Canada, followed by hurricane. And then, you know, this pand pandemic layered on top of it. And, you know, I've worked with uh, communities in, in you know, Puerto Rico and, you know, Hurricane Maria and then the pandemic and the earthquakes and this, you know, the, the you know, they, they, uh, Overthrew your government there, basically, in essence, uh, you know, uh, had the had the governor resign um, due to due to some issues there. And um, you know, I I, th I think the the thing we have to keep in mind is that that certainly this trauma is compounded 
But but I go back to um, Todd. I think it, I can't remember if it was Todd or or somebody else who made the comment: relationships, relationships, relationships. It's it's really you know that that's part one. You know, maintaining those relationships, checking in on one another, caring for one another, and making sure that everybody's being taken care of. Um, uh, the other is communication, 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 and uh, that's that's what I heard loud and clear from all the focus groups. Um, when we were having these discussions with all these various stakeholders over the last few months is that how important it is for, um, for, for parents and students and teachers and counselors and nurses and, and, and as difficult as it, is, as it is, school leaders need to understand that they want to be involved. They want to be a part of the, the, the um, you know, solving some of these problems and they want to know what's going on. They want to be included in that. And, and, it's, and it is a challenge to, to, to um, to uh, bring all those stakeholders together to have those important conversations, but, but having that ownership and buy-in into those decisions, it's gonna be really important in this next school year and just being transparent and honest that, hey, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. You know, we're gonna make decisions today that, that may make sense today, but they don't tomorrow. And that's just the reality of, of where we are today. Um, so, you know, it, it, as, it, as it applies to triaging and supporting the kids, which is also one of the questions and, you know, the equity piece and inclusion, how, how do we wrap our heads around that? You know, it goes back to that whole community approach to, you know, just, just rallying the community to that issue and being transparent. This is a problem and we've got to solve it. And we've got kids that, that weren't food insecure uh, two months ago that are today. And you know, how do we solve that? And we have limited resources in our community to do that. So we have to be really smart uh, as communities about how we how we access the resources we do have, identify what those resource, resources are, uh, take advantage of this opportunity maybe to tear down some of the silos that exist in all of our communities, to uh, start having a really meaningful conversation about how we can bring those resources together and be more 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 smart, <laughs> that's the term, uh, more intelligent, more, more strategic in how we uh, align those resources to make sure that we're, we're, we're creating that equity to the best degree we can so that when these kids do come to school, uh, they have what they need um, and, um, and uh, we, can, we can take care of those basic needs. And as Todd said, you know, Maslow's stuff comes first. And for the educators that, that are on online, you know, Maslow's always comes before Bloom's comes before Bloom's taxonomy. I mean, we've got to, you know, we've got to educate these kids, that's for sure. But unless we're taking care of them and loving on them and making sure they feel safe and supported, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of education that occurs. And uh, one one last comment I'll make about about response and recovery uh, from my personal experience, and, and Michelle, I'm sure you can speak to this too. But I see this all across the country in disasters. Is that as you go through that, that recovery process, you're gonna have people in your community that are gonna to wanna to get back to normal yesterday. They're done with this and they wanna get back to normal. You're gonna have people in your community that are gonna hang on to this and don't think normal will ever happen again. And then you're gonna have the folks in the middle that are gonna be like, well, it is what it is, we're gonna deal with it. And all those forces work work against each other and, and, uh, um, and you have to be smart and strategic about how you communicate and bring those groups together to make sure everybody's voices are heard and that um, they're flexible enough and, and adaptable and nimble, if you will, in this recovery effort to, uh, to be able to, um, to, to support all those needs to, to the best degree we can. Well said. So Amy, 
as we think about the, the, the possibility, we just don't know yet. We are, information is still coming out. So, we, you know, I think Brooke was talking about, is it going to be a hybrid? Are we going to have a delayed start? Like, we just don't know. And I don't know about you, Katina, but that is like so stressful for me to imagine as a teacher, not even knowing what am I going to be teaching virtually? Am I going to be teaching in person and trying to manage keeping them in their little spaces, or am I doing both? I, I don't know. Um, so Amy, a lot of concern that we heard from from the focus groups too was just about the, the, the facility itself. You know, how will we make sure that it's clean? What are some of the things that you are working on in your community? What are some of the health uh, safety considerations that, um, that you guys are, are looking at? Sure, thank you, Michelle. So there's a lot of layers to this onion. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say that this is um, going to show teamwork at its best. And just speaking to that, um, that equity piece, I, I would really implore people to start to think of this as not every community is going to get what people might think of as equal distribution of resources. Right. Uh, we need to rely on the boots on the ground in each community to advocate at their state level for what they are going to need. Even in our small state of Rhode Island, we know that there are communities that have been disproportionately hit by COVID who are going to need different resources. And it is up to all of the citizens to really respect that. Uh, for example, in Rhode Island, right now we have a reopening RI. It is a three-phased approach. And our um, state level has done a tremendous um, job at rolling out information to us. And just on Friday the 19th, they have sent out guidelines for schools. Also, our Department of Education has streamlined for all public schools in Rhode Island for the 2021 school year. We will have an identical school calendar for all school districts. Now, for a state the size of Rhode Island, you might wonder, why has that not already been the case? Well, we know frequently it really takes something happening for that to be. But I think for next year in particular, that is going to be critical. So everyone is on the same page and the same calendar. As far as in my uh, local community and our district, we will on Thursday already be having our second task force meeting. And that is made up by administrators, uh, food service, our um, facilities management, school health. So I would like to think that we are really getting out in front of this and recognizing that having myself, our school psychologist, and our school social worker, because again, those are domains that are going to be um, so well needed. 
So those are some of the things, some of the things that we're doing right now. Just a few. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the, um, the, all of those resources and the sort of the broader state um, initiative to, to reopen Rhode Island. I'm curious about, um, you know, your role is, is the school nurse is like the school resource officer, the liaison, um, school resource officers liaise between the school community and the kiddos often um, with local law enforcement and the school nurse can do the same thing for the school community in terms of public, you know, public health and safety. So I'm just curious, are you, uh, what is that, what is that connection with public safety, um, you know, uh, representatives? Are you guys coordinating those things as well together with, you know, with school teams? We are right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, To be perfectly frank, to be able to make a concrete plan right now for what the first day of school will look like uh, August 31st would would not be reasonable. However, having a representative from each of those domains around the table because we bring so much information. Uh, right now, as far as school health goes, I am uh, the Rhode Island director to the National Association of School Nurses. So I am able to look at and draw upon information through that lens. Uh, Also in conversation with our local um, school district physician who has been tremendous for us. Uh, And also looking to the Department of Health and frequently people will say, well, Amy, where do you go to to get your information? And the fact of the way that I think of it is the Center for Disease Control, our CDC, being sort of our umbrella, with them also being the American Academy of Pediatrics and NASA the National Association of School Nurses. But again, thinking about equity, what the policies and uh, what they're advising for national may not be what it will look like exactly in, uh, you know, Katina's area or in Brooks area or even in my area. And I think then you really need to rely on your local Department of Health and even breaking it down further still would be your local school health professionals and your school physician. Again, a lot of layers. It is. I mean, thank good, thank goodness for the school. Thank goodness we have these liaison positions. You know, you you have to wear a lot of hats, and as you said, there's so many layers to the onion. Well, I feel like we could talk about this all day. So I have decided that we need to come back together and do this again um, because, as you said, Amy, this is evolving, and um, and there are you know, just so many um, things that, that we're learning as, as we're going. So we will uh, attempt to, I think we pretty much hit most of the questions that came in, but we will uh, push out additional um, answers and feedback on our social channels just to make sure that we have hit all of them. I wanna thank everybody on the panel for joining us today, as well as everybody for taking a whole hour out of a, a very busy day to, to sit with us and and think about the return to learn. 
Uh, thank you all for joining us um, for the season, the first season of Tuesdays at the Table uh, for us here at Safe and Sound Schools. We will be back again for another season this fall, um, but we're, we're not gone for long. Uh, Tuesdays beginning July 7th, we invite all of you to join us for our Safe and Sound Return to Learn webinar series where we'll take a deeper dive with safe and sound experts into preparing for the school year ahead. We'll discuss in-depth topics from today and many more to ensure safe and sound schools together. So look for the invitation in email and on social media soon. Until then, we encourage you to catch up on any chats that you missed by viewing archived episodes on our website. Uh, share them with your friends as well. They're, they're there for continued use. You can also listen to the episodes and other powerful and inspiring conversations on our new podcast, Sound Off, also are available on our website and on Spotify. So thank you all once again, and we will see you in July. Take good care.